0: Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of
1: life. Business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning
0: RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to One Point Nine Hi FM, and that jingle I hear many times, and I've heard it for many years, but I think today's show is more apt than ever when it comes to that jingle. Kathy, I don't know who put it together, but thank you for putting it together, because today, as I mentioned to you last week, number one, we have a guest where, um, I if you're listening, I suggest if you're driving, you pull over and find a shady spot Maybe find an under, undercover parking because you're going to want to hang on to every single word. If you're in business, or even if you're not in business, if you've got yourself in this rut that you've been through for the last couple of months and you haven't been able to sort of stick your head above the parapet or every time you've done that, you've got the proverbial slap across the face or if you've overcome it, but you just need some encouragement. This is the show that you need to listen to. I'm very honoured to welcome Pablo Fadidis onto the show. Pablo, welcome to High FM.
1: Avi, very nice of you to have me. Thank you so much. And I couldn't echo more what you just said to all your listeners. Be positive, Fantastic. stay positive, and we're going to make it positive.
0: Absolutely. For those of you who don't know, and if you don't know, then you've also been living under proverbial rock for the last while, but Pablo Fadidis is a household name in South Africa, he is the um, the founder of Auric Business Incubator. He's got a whole long CV, but very simply, when one listens to Pablo, whether he's talking about an estate agency, an online business, a farm, there's always an angle, there's always something fresh, always something new, always innovation that he's looking for. And the innovation is not to take the person and say, you've been fast asleep, or why haven't you done this? But rather to say... You can't see the wood for the trees because you're working every day. This is what I feel you should do. And this is my advice. Let's work together to get you to the next step. So, Papa, that's what I've taken from you over the years. I also had the, the honor and the privilege of sitting in your boardroom where uh, I came in, I think, prepared. And you sat me down. And three minutes in, I said something that you guys didn't agree with. And an hour later, I walked out with my whole life perception being turned on its head positively and just to share with everybody uh, without talking too personally, what you basically said to me is that the power is in your hands. There are no excuses and there's no one to look for and to blame. It's all about you and what you can do. You are the center of your universe. Go out there and make it happen. So that was what I took away from that, from that very positive meeting. And once again, thank you for your time. But let's jump straight into it. I don't think that we would have dreamt at that meeting that we would be talking about post or towards the end of a COVID-19 lockdown. I'm very close to what happens in Israel simply because my family lives there. I'm looking at moving there shortly and, and all of a sudden it's real I've gone back down into lockdown businesses are suffering, things are hard. Talk us through um, COVID as you found it in the very beginning to where we are now. Just give us your perception of what happened and where we are.
1: Yeah, Avi, I was very fortunate um, around COVID in the sense that I have two clients that I work with in Hong Kong. Um, small businesses, medium-sized businesses doing around three and a half, four million a year in, in U.S. dollars in revenue. And they phoned me and they said, listen, the lockdown is coming over here and the lockdown is not fun. Things are actually going to be really, really rough. we already seen the early signs of it. And if one looks at pandemics, pandemics have always moved from east to west. Uh, we saw it with the H1N1 virus. We saw it with swine flu and all the other flus. And it seemed evident that we were going to find ourselves possibly facing a lockdown too. Immediately, um, I spoke to my co-founder and said, we need to do something different because our clients in South Africa, our clients in Europe, in the US and in the UK are sure to follow a similar experience. And then I started to look very quickly at um, some of the forecasts that were coming out around what the virus was going to do and the fact that the virus itself was quite new. And immediately, we assumed a position where we said, This is here for two years at a minimum. And the way that an entrepreneur thinks and ought to think is we need to actually prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And the reason it was so important to adopt that view is because as entrepreneurs, you only become an entrepreneur because of two things. One, necessity, which is 95% of all people in business. And 5% go into business out of opportunity, and that's deep privilege as well. But once you're there, and once you start, and once you start acting within your means and capability, for so long as you have the grit to stick with it, you build confidence. And that confidence is driven by optimism and the belief that you can make things happen. So when the three-week lockdown was announced here, Avi, And I saw people saying, okay, it's here for three weeks. We'll get to the other side of it. I was telling my clients, prepare for a two-year run on this. Because the virus itself doesn't take things personally. It doesn't favor or disfavor good or bad behavior. It is completely inert, and we do not have an answer for it. And to the extent that you set your mind very quickly to accommodate a rougher run, rather than an easier run, it immediately seed the early stages of resilience and it proved itself proved itself to be a very, very viable mental approach in the very early stages.
0: You, you, you what was important about it is you looked at it at a holistic thing, not as a calamity that was coming and that we had to sort of hunker down and bunker down this is here for a period of time. Life needs to go on. And how are we going to adapt and how we are going, How are we going to make things change? Um, but I still want to spend quite a lot of time discussing the book that you've just written called Reset, Rebuild, and Reignite, Build Your Business to Thrive in a Crisis. Now, I just want to unpack that later. But just to come back to where we were when the, it's, it's all good and well, but were there certain businesses that you looked at and said, sorry, guys, this pandemic is going to shut you down and there's no way to move. Was it almost the hard truth that you had to tell some businesses?
1: Absolutely, Abby. You know, very quickly, what we did is, or what I did is I organized businesses based on sector and industry, as well as based on size into three buckets. There was the red bucket, the amber bucket and the green bucket. And the red bucket, was the bucket that was hardest hit. It was what I referred to as businesses in the social economy, where your proximity to people, for example, in the eventing industry, in the entertainment industry, the travel industry, the tourism industry, the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry, those businesses were going to be severely, severely hit. And some will be hit so hard, Abi, based on size, they won't be able to recover. The medium bucket were the businesses that one could design strategies, make changes in the business model to sustain a period of low or no growth. And the bucket green was all about the businesses that would face tremendous opportunity but could fail for the simple reason that they had not built an underlying scalable capability to cope with the rush of business that would be driven towards them. So those three buckets were established very, very cleanly and very carefully. And then alongside each, we then built a commercial response to the small businesses in each of the three buckets, the medium businesses and the large businesses. And to give you a sense of what I mean, a smaller business is doing less than 10 million a year. A medium business is doing between 10 and let's say 200 million a year and the larger business was doing well over 200 million. The reason it was important, Avi, is because our economy has not been kind to us. Small businesses have borne the brunt of really poorly thought out and shockingly implemented economic policy for the country, plus they've had to tolerate and live with the complete uncertainty created by ESCOM. So a lot of those businesses came into this lockdown with a very, very thin balance sheet. And that meant that the strategies had to be fundamentally different between small, medium, and large as a result.
0: I tell you what, it's it's a good place to break. Let's take a quick break because someone needs to pay for this uh, free interview that we're having with you. Let's take a quick break. Craig, take us to the shops. We'll be back with you in a moment.
1: Hi, FM. Your station of choice since 2008.
0: Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's 21 minutes past 12. And on the line with me is Pablo Fatidi. Again, he's no introduction, but he's the founder of Oric Business Incubator. Pablo, coming back to you, you just described how when lockdown came, you sort of segmented businesses into three different cyclone or cycles, let's call it, or different buckets. And those who were, who just, just, that they were going to get taken out. Those, adapted, you know, one way and those who had the scalability they just had to exercise it. What was the hard discussion that you had with the first group of businesses where they came to you and said to you, Pablo, I need that magic elixir. I need that one that you've got. And you looked them in the eyes and you said, not going to happen. What was, the, what was the advice that you gave those type of businesses?
1: Yeah, you know, I'd be about two weeks before we locked down, before the lockdown was announced, um, I devised something called the Corona Business Battle Plan. And the reason I think that the languaging was so important is in times of certainty, the way you fight a battle is you build your um, uh, army, per se, and you strategize. And a lot of that strategy sits in the back office where it's predictable about what's coming it's there's a high degree of certainty and it's a chess game it's a chess game a battle like this and the battle plan like this where certainty is only three minutes ahead in every instance because things were changing so quickly requires that general to come to the battlefront and to work with his or her team in the moment of the battle. And the reason that's so important is because you yourself don't know what the future holds. The rate and the pace of change, the uncertainty that was driven around this, requires you to make decisions literally on the trot. And those decisions were all centered around one thing, and that's preserving the business. So the first play that we put out there, as hard as it is, is stop every single payment that you have lined up. Stop all payments and then negotiate. Don't negotiate to stop, whether it be your rental payments, whether it be your SARS payments, whatever the payments might be, because a red-bucket business in a time of extreme uncertainty and stress, the most important feature that you need to hold on to is to preserve your capital. And what we did in response is I spoke to SARS and we developed a, a webinar on how to negotiate with SARS. In other words, how do, you approach it, how do you approach deferring your PAYE or your VAT? I spoke to a number of landlords and we spoke about how you negotiate with the landlord. And then we did something on how you negotiate with your team and your staff. Because preserving capital when you're about to be obliterated is crucial because it's that capital that once that storm is passed, Abby, will help you start again. And starting again has to be the priority.
0: So Pablo, my experience has been where I sit on a, almost, almost the side branch of that crisis, where clients came to me and said to me, I need money. What can I liquidate? Where can I get cash? And a lot of that money went to pay rent. And when I just said to them, can you not negotiate with your landlord? And the answer was no. They are vigilant. They are not moving. They want their money and my what a foolish landlord. If you put your tenant out of business, what are you going to do? Salvage a few assets. I and mean, then you're going to have vacancies. You're going to have to clear the property. You're going to have to relet it in this climate. Rather, keep your tenant close to you, negotiate, help, allow them to stay on their feet so that when they do recover, they can recoup that which you've both lost. And
1: um, was my logic right over there? You know, sadly, logic doesn't win because I argued the same position, Abi. And in fact, went further. And the landlord said to me, but listen, we have obligations to the banks. Um, a lot of landlords, Abi, went and capitalized through debt their balance sheets. In the months and the years leading up, there was this mad flurry and rush for property everywhere. And property stocks were high, and people understood the um, uh, the model of acquire more property and, and leverage your debt and etc etc etc. So everybody played that game, and there was no battle chest for people to survive. So I went to the banks, and I said to the banks, "You need to soften, not forgive, but defer payments to your landlord clients, so that they can protect." their tenants, if they don't do that, there's a chain reaction. And the banks then turned around and said, but we have prudential obligations. And then I went through to the um, uh, Reserve Bank and spoke to the challenge that the banks were facing in relation to prudential requirements to then talk to softening some of the prudential requirements to soften the obligations to landlords, to soften obligations to tenants. And I truly think that if we could have gotten the parties talking more effectively together, we would not be sitting in a situation where so many businesses have lost their income and lost their potential and lost their futures. The reason it was so critical to get right, but it didn't get right, is because we have a bad habit of people not working together in this country. Government does its own thing. When it does confer, it confers with its partners in corporate And corporate, with respect, Avi, does not look after small business, certainly not from what I've seen. If you do see it, it's the exception rather than the rule. And small business is the engine of the economy, whether it be here, whether it be the U.S., whether it be in the U.K. Every economy I work with, small business is what lifts and holds and creates vibrancy in that economy.
0: Now, Pablo, just to maybe knock that point home, I saw an interview It was on TV. I don't remember where or what. But um, they interviewed a a street vendor in the Cape Town uh, station. And they said, no, lockdown's coming. But you're going to go home and you're going to stay home. And she turned around and she looked at the reporter and said, if I don't sell this which you see in front of me today, my family doesn't eat tonight. I'm more than happy to go home for three weeks. Is the government going to come and give me food for my children for the next three weeks? And that hit me across the face like like a horse's hoof. Because all of a sudden, there's, there's no bread in the freezer. There's no overdraft facility. There's no family member. It's hand to mouth and not hand to mouth for jam. It's hand to mouth for bread and butter. The, the basics of human, for the, to keep a family together. And, and that's exactly what you're saying. But one thing that I, I've picked up very clearly from um, the discussion we've had over the last five, ten minutes is that to be in business, one has to have proverbial balls. One needs to be able to look at the hard facts, almost stand back from your own scenario. And yes, it might be unpleasant not to pay your bills. It might go against the grain of every ethical fiber in your being. But if you have to do that in the short term, you'll have nothing in the long term. So it's all about sometimes making hard choices, painful choices, but again, calculated choices. But am I correct in saying that communication is what's important? Don't just stop the payment. Stop the
1: payment and then say, this is why I've done it. Completely. You know what? if you, don't, if you don't practice empathy in a crisis, you'll never be treated fairly. And if you have to overcome the psychological discomfort of making hard choices, one of the best ways to do it is to recognize a couple of things. The first is, mostly you don't have a choice. Mostly you don't have a choice to make hard calls. And the reason is because no one cares about you. A lot of people will say they do. (laughs) A lot of people will say they do. Government says it cares about small business. Big business says it cares about small business. We are told as small business how important we are all the time. Yet it's all talk. There is no walk behind it. The second thing is this. For so long as you demonstrate empathy and you've shown due consideration to the other party, it says My books are open for a debate and discussion around being fair. I'm not looking to not pay you, Mr. Landlord, Mr. Taxman, staff, member, employee. What I'm looking to do is to preserve the entity that pays us all. And I recognize, Mr. Landlord, Mr. Taxman, that you too have obligations and costs. So here is my plan of action Give me a rental holiday for three months or six months and extend my lease by six months at the end of the period. If I survive, it means we survive. If I don't survive, I promise you for free tenancy in the space that I vacate will next be full three years from now. Because if you look at our overall economy, We still don't have a growth strategy as a country. We still don't have the vibrancy that's needed to stimulate economic opportunity. I'm the best bet you have. And for me, this business is my only bet. It puts us in the same camp. And that's the way we communicated it. Now, in the early stages, everyone said, no, we won't even entertain it. We won't even question it. My response was in those instances well, then please proceed with your best course of action. Because if you're going to shut me down as a restaurant, I don't know what you're going to do with the assets. There will be no restaurants to acquire the assets. There won't be anyone interested in the ovens and the fridges and the plant and equipment that sit behind there. Thirdly, in those instances, if you remove vibrancy out of a shopping center, out of a shopping district, you're harming the other tenants. And it took people... Three to four months of this Abby to understand and appreciate that fact. The individual that you mentioned during the ad break, who's a friend of the station, is a man who's got that kind of understanding and vision because I experienced it directly with him. He understood what was needed to preserve the vibrancy of his properties, and deals were made with most of his tenants, as I understand it, to maintain that vibrancy. It's a long to meet it's a medium to long term play. But a lot of people did not practice that in the beginning. They had to be forced into that position halfway through the lockdown.
0: After talking about adapting and changing technologies, telling me that we've got uh, nine minutes and 27 seconds left. So let's get into it. You've written a new book and one thing I loved about what you said, and I'll just paraphrase it, is that COVID-19 to most businesses was no more severe Then a major calamity happening to a business in a normal course of business. So examples you give is losing a major kind, one that you really depend on. Or if you're in the food industry, having your water supply cut off for a couple of days, no electricity. This is another thing we need to adapt with. Reset, rebuild, reignite. What I love about this is that it's not destruct, rebuild, reignite. It's reset. Take the going concern mm-hmm. and just off it a little bit. Talk us about through Talk us through why you decided to, book, to write the book and where you're going with it.
1: You know, when I did that webinar, um, Build a Battle Plan to Survive the Corona Lockdown, I had the opportunity to share that webinar with around 10,000 businesses, both in South Africa, in the UK, the US, and in Europe. And I observed what was coming through on the chat line, all of them Zoom, of course. And I looked at the chat line, and I looked at the chat line, and I thought to myself, okay, well, the message seems to be resonant. The strategy that I was sharing came from direct experience and direct practice, um, because I'd come out of an environment of buying distressed businesses and turning them around. And then my publisher phoned me. Uh, my publisher for Sweatscale Scale Self, the first book I wrote uh, nine months earlier, and she said, you need to translate that into a book because the message needs to go out wider. And that really began the process. In a moment of madness, um, working a 14, 15-hour day, I said yes on the fly. Um, and she is, she is one of the most difficult women in the world I've ever met to say no to. I still can't quite put my finger on it, but I said yes. And 100 days later, managed to produce this book.
0: What do you hope that the book will achieve?
1: Action. The first part of the book talks about mindset, because if you don't adopt the right attitude to your environment, your personal circumstances, I mean, no strategy, no tactic, no clever way of doing something will bear any fruit whatsoever. If you think about it, if you think about it, There are very, very few absolute truths in the world. One of those absolute truths is that the way you think determines the way you behave, which gives you an outcome of your life, whether it be in business, in a relationship, with kids, with friends, with family. So if the outcome you have, despite what's happening in the world, is not the outcome you want... You need to adopt a different attitude. So it begins with mindset. And I share six tools that I use frequently how to keep my mindset in a positively inspired, action-orientated space and place. From there, before
0: before you go into those, again, we're running against the clock. We need to take a quick break. Let's take the break. And when we come back, let's unpack those six tools. Craig, take us to the shops. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to 101.9 Hi FM and we are on the line with Pablo Fatidis, who is the founder of Auric Business Incubator and a household name in South Africa. First of all, Pablo, thank you very much for your generosity and your time. Um, your webinars are booked out around the world. Your um, time is very, very limited, and I just appreciate your generosity of giving it to Haifa and to the listeners. Let's quickly unpack those six main ideas that you had in your book for positive thinking from a business point of view.
1: You know, I'll share some of them with you, Avi. One of them I learned from – I've been doing martial arts for for many, many years. And what's interesting about martial arts is whichever martial art form you choose – This technique, and you can pick up the technique and learn the technique, honestly, in 6 to 8 to 12 months. So you now know the technique. But mastery comes only when you can control your mind. Because when you step into a ring and face an opponent, it is terrifying. Being hit in the face is not fun. And mastery comes from using your breath. So that when you face a situation where you are shocked, so a punch in the face, for example, is a shock to the system. Your natural reaction is to take a gasp, a quick breath. And when you breathe into the top of your lungs physiologically, you generate a whole lot of cortisol and adrenaline. It floods your body and places you in a freeze, fight, flight situation. If you learn to control your breath, you can avoid that. And I talk about that as a technique. I talk about a technique that I learned, a psychological technique that I learned in the Kabbalah that says your energy needs to come from the future. If you have a sense of what you want to be, a sense of what you want to achieve, and you persist with attempting to create that, create that means you have the power to still make it happen. It has very little to do with your past, which is already spent it lies in the future, that takes you into a positively inspired direction and way of working. And those are two of the six different tools that I certainly use on a frequent basis, and I promote actively amongst my client base.
0: I'm asking to look into your crystal ball. Um, I think yours is a lot clearer than a lot of people. Where are we going to be this time next year? After Yom Kippur next year, when I speak to you, where do you think we will be in the world, in, in business, in South African economy? Where are we going to be standing?
1: Look, I think very little will change outside of the South African economy. I have I have low faith that all the talk will turn into walk effectively. If I look at the global economy, all of it centers on what happens, in my view, around the 3rd of November this year. If we have a Trump presidency ascend to a second term, I think it's going to shape the world fundamentally differently to a Biden presidency. And most of that is really centered around global trade. The trade wars that get implied, the trade wars that get whimsically communicated through social media um, do no good for anybody, honestly, at all. What I think matters, though, Avi, is that you have no control over it. What Trump does or doesn't do, what the Rand dollar does or doesn't do, what the next big shock coming, which is coming, around climate change does or doesn't do, you have no control over it. The only thing you have control over is your own mindset. And in my view, the message I would give to every person out there is identify what it is that you want to achieve and then set a plan to go about achieving it. And in doing so, know this, 90% of what you do is likely to be wrong. 10% of what you do is likely to be right. Because truth is only ever found in action. And Carl Gustav Jung, the famed psychologist who had probably one of the most fundamental understandings of the Judeo-Christian psychology, in the western world always argued, act act going from A to B and act looking for the superior replacement because the act of acting where truth is found in action will put you in a place where you're positively inspired and in control to achieve what it is that you need to achieve in your life.
0: Pablo, thank you so much. We are out of time. Thanks so much for your time. Wishing you everything of the best. IFM, FM, 101.9 MHz of life.